Pray with me again. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to gather with Your people, to lift up praise to Your name, and to be reminded of Your goodness to us in Christ. Of the promise that He will return in power to reign. Please help us now to prepare ourselves so that we will be found a people full of faith, eagerly awaiting the coming of our King, living right now under the kingship of Lord Jesus. We pray this, asking that You will now fill this place in the power of Your Spirit for both the preaching and the receiving of Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Athena kept asking me, you excited? You excited? And I was conflicted because this is a different sort of sermon than I am accustomed to. This morning, we're going to be thinking together about the beautiful faith of fearless submission, which I I, I kind of borrowed from John Piper. His book, This Momentary Marriage, um, has a chapter labeled that. Um, We're going to be talking about the role of wives submitting to their husbands. Uh, A lot of times when I'm preaching, I can call, come, follow me as I follow Christ. Here's how we are going to do this together. Um, I have less experience here in being a wife submitting to her husbands. And yet there are, there's things that carry over. There's things that carry over from the life of faith that each one of us is called to. And what women, in particularly married women, are called to. In fact, in the context of 1 Peter, the context is Peter writing to a whole group of exiles. And he's going to tell them that as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against their souls and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they see, speak against you as evildoers, they may still see your good deeds and glorify your Father on the day of visitation. That applies to everybody in here. Kids, all the way down to you. Your goal in life will be to glorify God and cause others to glorify Him on the day when Jesus comes back in power to reign. But here, this particular passage in 1 Peter 3, verses one through six is addressing how the wives are going to work this out. Peter has already spoken to everybody, telling them, submit to every human institution. And then he's spoken to the the slaves and said to slaves, servants, be subject to your 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 masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel, to the unjust. And then he gets to wives, and we read in 1 Peter 3, 1-6, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is something addressed to wives and through the course of this this weekend we're considering the different roles and relationships that God gives us. Because we get into this idea of segmenting off our spirituality from regular life. Our time in church from our time playing volleyball later on this afternoon. We, we, we split these areas of our lives. And so somebody, uh, I heard a uh, pastor I love say that he'll go into a, a group of people and he'll be asking people, how's your walk with Christ? And again and again, people default to talking about their, their devotional time. Well, I've, I've been doing better at, at reading every morning and having some time for prayer. That is not the sum and substance of our walk with Christ. In fact, uh, our family was reading through Matthew and we ran across the the passage where um, Jesus is speaking to the sheep and the goats and He says to to the one, you you cared for me. When I was sick and in prison, you, you ministered to me. And they say, when did that happen? Jesus says, as you did to the least of these, you did it to me. So much of our spiritual life is towards Christ as it's towards one another. And so, children, um, Pastor Kyle will address this more, but your, your service to Christ is reflected and carried out in your service to your moms and dads. And um, wives, we're going to say the same thing as your call to submit to your husbands is really a call to submit to Christ. There's a tight connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with other Christians, with other people in our lives. So husbands here, just a verse later in in this passage, in verse 7 of chapter 3, Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women, women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a really close relationship. You can't can't treat your wife like trash and then praise the Lord. That's not going to work for you. God will not hear your prayers. Or or, or the uh, children. You may know the the, the verse, children, obey your parents in the Lord and, and honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land. There's a close relationship between your obedience to God and how that is reflected in the way you live towards others. And so that's what we see here in, in this. And, and wives are given the, the same thing here as they are told that their adorning, their adorning should not be caught up in all the things that people get to thinking that adorning, being beautiful, is about. But that your beauty is found, well, in the same thing that the holy women who hoped in God in the past found it in, which is in submitting to their husbands. So there's, there's this beautiful testimony, and then there's an apologetic of good living. Many of us want to see, we were praying in the prayer time before the gathering at 9 o'clock 
in the rec center. We were praying and, and praying for people who don't know the Lord, family and friends and people here. And we want to see them come to know the Lord. Well, one of the things God uses is the testimony and the apologetic of good conduct, of good holy living. And that's what He calls women to here. So we're going to quickly look um, through 1 Peter 3, verses 1-6 through 6, at the basis of submission, the biblical basis, the beauty of submission, and the bedrock of submission. The basis of submission, wives are told here, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's, it's really simple. The word means obey, sub, be subject, submit to. As God set things up in the family life, He is a God who loves order. He is not a God who loves chaos. He looked at the world and He saw chaos and He brought spoke into that chaos and He brought order. And He separated land from sea. And He separated light from darkness. And He made different types of creatures. And He made man. Male and female. He created them. And in any organization, you're going to have somebody take the lead. Otherwise, regularly, you're going to end up with a hung jury, a split vote. That's not going to work. And in God's good plan, He said, okay, I'm going to create Adam first. And so he creates Adam and he gives him a calling, a task. And then he says, Adam's not going to do this on his own. This is not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve and brings her to his side as his perfect, suitable helper. And she joins him in the task that he has given Adam to be overall of his creation, to be a king. And so he brings along a queen. This word here, be subject or obey, it's the same word as in verse 13 and verse 18. As we're all commanded to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. It's also the word given to servants. Be subject, obey your masters. All of them. All of the masters. Not just the good ones. If they're your master, that's who you're called to, to follow. And, and while the relationship is vastly different when we get to wives and husbands, the action is the same. The attitude is the same. The call is the same. The relationship radically different. We can see notice the similarities without saying they're the same thing. They're not. And yet, there's a lot that we can see as far as the heart in here, the same heart of faith in God is necessary in each of these roles in order to submit to imperfect authority, to embrace that and celebrate that. Marriage is not best pictured here as the relationship of a king and his subject, but as a king and his queen. When God, when God created Adam and Eve, and when He creates Adam and He looks at him and He says, it's not good for man to be alone. He didn't give him an employee. He didn't give him man's best friend. A dog. A loyal, fairly silent companion. He didn't give him AI. 
God brought along a helper suitable him who was his equal. Full of insights and ideas and observations. And, and men, we are wise leaders. If we, we should want to, to solicit from our wives their input. Women here, in being told to submit, are being placed in a role. They're not being told what their value is. Women and men equal in value, but as God has ordained, men are to courageously take the role of leadership, responsibility. Which means as we we consider the fact that men and women are equal, submission here in our passage, we, we should note a couple things that it's not. John Piper does this really well. I'm borrowing a lot of this in uh, that book, um, This Momentary Marriage. But submission does not mean you agree with everything your husband says. Here in the, uh, the, the passage in front of us, you have a wife who is going to submit to her own husband so that even if some do not obey the Word, some of these men are not even believers. That's the expression from earlier in in First Peter. Not obey the word means they are they are not embracing the gospel. They've rejected that. Both husband and wife heard the gospel, and the wife said, "Yes, I believe. I will follow and be saved and follow King Jesus." And the husband says, "I'm not interested in that." So clearly the wife did not follow him in in what he's thinking and what he's saying. No, she hasn't left her brain at the altar. And and women, you likewise, you are created by God to be thoughtful, engaged beings who actually the way you help your husband is through that thoughtfulness. Along the same lines, submission here can't mean avoiding every every effort to change your husband. Now, we need to be careful here because a lot of the ways we try to change people is through manipulation, um, through using either just uh, a, a full-scale full assault or maybe a Cold War tactic. We have lots of ways we try to change people. But this woman here who is called to submit, part of the motivation is God will use this to change your husband. Even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So these women are motivated. They're engaged. They're interested in seeing their husbands change. We also see that submission does not mean putting the will of your husband before the will of Christ. We see that because, again, these are women who their husbands probably would have preferred that they not go this direction of Christianity. Initially, um, that was seen as a dishonorable thing for your wife not to follow you in your religion in that day. But this wife has made the decision to follow Jesus. She She has gone a different direction, which is her saying, if I'm given the choice either between following you or following Christ, and there's no way to do both, I'm following Christ. You judge for yourself, uh, as the Apostle said in, in Acts, whether we should follow you, religious leaders, or follow God. When it comes down to a draw like that, we're going to follow, follow God. And we also see that the women here 
Their submission is not out of fear. Submission is not a cowering under the rule of somebody who is stronger than you. In fact, they, they, they aren't to act out of fear. There's to live in a fearlessness. Sarah, the example we're given in, in verse 6, she calls Abraham Lord, but it's out of a heart that doesn't fear anything frightening. And so submission uh, does mean a, uh, a disposition and a pattern of following your husband's leadership and, and being happy to submit to him taking the lead. But it doesn't mean a, a passive, mindless acquiescence to just, okay, we're, we're just going to do what you want. It's not calling the wives to a mindless, passive acquiescence. Submission should be thoughtful. It should be engaged. It should be motivated. And this is where our, our, our problems come in. Because suddenly, you've got two people who both have really strong ideas, really strong opinions, and that's where we can butt heads. Um, and so, so what, do, what do we do? You've got two, a husband and a wife, and they have different opinions on sleepovers. They have different opinions on how much a family ought to eat out and whether our budget should really have that much spent in that way. Different opinions on health decisions, whether from diet to vaccinations to whatever. You're going to run into things where two thinking individuals are going to butt heads. So what do we do? Well, what we typically do is we fight. Or we give the cold shoulder. Or we nag. Or find other ways to manipulate. Or, classic move, maybe you just let him have his way. And you sit there and you wait for the the whole thing to tumble down. Letting him have his way is not submission. Because what did God make you for? He made you to be a helper suitable to Him. And and letting Him have His way is you saying, you over there, me over here. No. No, submitting to your husband means after you have attempted to give him good input, baby, can we talk about this? I, I, I love to submit to you. I love to follow you and see you try to lead. But I really am concerned about this direction. I, I'm concerned about the, the fallout of, of taking those choices. Of us running our family that way. Allowing the kids to operate that way. But he, he doesn't listen. Or maybe he decides differently. And so in that context, you don't stand over here and say, you do your thing. But you come alongside him and you do your best to see it work. And if it doesn't work, like you anticipated, you don't gloat. But you help clean up the mess. That is the beautiful submission God is calling you to, ladies. The fact is, we we don't always come to a consensus. Sometimes we are left in a standoff. And sometimes the decision still needs to be made. Often. Often the decision cannot be endlessly delayed. And so your husband is going to sometimes make that choice. And sometimes he's just going to make a really dumb choice. That's We do that. And it's actually there that, that, wives, you have a unique opportunity that you don't get when he's leading well. 
You have a unique opportunity to submit in that situation when you think it's a really bad idea and you've tried to persuade him and it's now time to win him over without a word. You have a unique opportunity there to practice the beautiful faith of, of, of fearless submission in a way you don't get otherwise. It reminds me of what Jesus said about loving your enemy or loving your enemies. He says, don't just love those who love you. Everybody does that. Wives, don't just follow him when he's going your way. That's not following, that's walking like with somebody who's going in the same direction as you. This this is a unique situation to display a beautiful submission. All right, let's move on to seeing the beauty of submission because Peter doesn't just give a command, wives, submit to your husbands, this is your role, but he tries to win them with the beauty of this call. So if we look at verses 3 and 4 where it says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. These are positioned between a discussion of submission and then he comes right back to submission in verse 5. He says, this is how the holy women of old used to adorn themselves, to make themselves beautiful. This was their beauty regimen. This is how they did it. And so he starts with submission, he ends with submission. Between he has a discussion of beauty, which is why I don't think this is meant to be like this master list of, of how to um, dress as a Christian woman. Any of you have braided hair in here this morning? You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> Peter's concern is not to prohibit certain things. He's trying to promote certain things. This list is far too short if he was actually trying to give us a list of, of a bad list. This is the blacklist of things Christian, good, good Christian girls don't do. Um, sometimes those lists at a particular moment can be helpful. Husbands and wives, this is one of the things you may disagree on as you raise up your children is what that list should look like for your family. But you're going to have some sort of list. But Peter isn't trying to make that list. He's trying to say, listen ladies, I know you want to be beautiful. That's that's one of the things that is in your hearts. You want to be beautiful. And that's not bad. In fact, that's a really good thing. What's bad is the confusion, actually the lies about what beauty is. We have young ladies, um, unless you're living hiding under a rock, if you are at all socially connected, online or, or, or in real time, you are hearing voices telling you that beauty looks a certain way and they're painting a picture for you. And maybe they're telling you, you have to wear this brand or this style and then you'll be cute. Or maybe if you're a little older, then you'll be hot. And and sisters, some of, some of you, wives and mothers, you are also surrounded by this culture. And I, I'm I know myself. I know humanity enough to know to, to doubt that you're completely immune to a culture that's constantly screaming at you that your worth is in looking like you haven't aged a day over twenty five. 
that your body doesn't show any of the results of bearing bearing and caring for multiple children. Those are lies. And these lies increasingly demand more and more time and energy and mental resources to try to, to hold back the hands of time. It's ultimately a losing battle. You can be beautiful in your 60s. We have many beautiful uh, sisters in our congregation, but it will not be the same type of beauty. God intends that as certain physical things wane, certain more permanent beauties will wax. They They will become more and more visible. And actually... The great thing is, I've talked to some of your husbands, the great thing is, your husbands are actually on board with this. They, they, they see the, the inner beauty growing. And that actually, they're not looking at the, 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 young, the young gal. They're saying, you are really the picture of beauty. Our, our tastes change. And what we love Even as imperfect men, what we love is to see this inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The sad thing is that obsessing about the external beauty often keeps us from investing in the inner beauty. And we bristle and we say, oh, I can do both. But at some point, when you have two things, you're going to get squeezed and your priorities will be forced into a single file line. And it will go one way or another. You will either finish fixing your hair or you will honor your husband who's waiting in the car for ten minutes. It's going to happen, ladies. We are limited creatures. So invest in what will last. True beauty here in this passage is a gentle and quiet spirit that expresses itself. Young ladies, right now, developing that gentle and quiet spirit will look one way. But it will express itself at some point, maybe, if you get married, in what you're called to as you submit to your husband. So, okay, gentle and quiet spirit. This sounds like it unfairly gives the advantage to those girls who are just really quiet. Gentle. Gentle. It's just, it's an expression used throughout the the scriptures that we're really all called to. Gentleness is just a good thing. It is a virtue. Even you young men here on the front row, you are called to be gentle. Because gentle just means that as you interact with others, you're not beating them up. You consider their dignity. You consider their value. And you express that in a respectful manner. And so I think here, the gentleness really expresses the heart of respect that's underneath the submission. Ladies, in order to submit, this is really going to flow out of you showing respect for your husbands. Um, the, uh, in verse 2, so chapter 3, verse 2, Peter says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The word there, it's a word that sometimes gets translated as fear. It's the same word when uh, servants in verse 18 are told um, to uh, be subject to your masters with all respect or all fear. But I think it, the respect is the right word. And th- this is the idea, not, not a cowering fear, 
But the the idea is that you you uh, demonstrate. I honor your position that you have been given. Servants honor the position that their masters have been given. Wives are going to honor with respect the position that their husbands have been given. So gentleness is really just the expression of this respectful heart. And then quiet, this word can also be translated tranquil. It is a, in one of the Psalms, um, Psalm 121 maybe, uh, says, I have quieted my soul within you, within me. And the idea is just, I'm at peace. You picture a lake that was like it had gotten turbulent, but then settles down into this tranquil scene. So a woman who is quiet isn't just someone who's not naturally talkative. A woman who is quiet has a heart at peace. She's not fretting about everything. And and that's uh, an important thing because we, we get caught up in a lot of fretting. And and we get really worried about things, especially when we see the person who's supposed to be steering the ship ain't doing it. Um, Your husband, you feel like he's leaving things undone and half done, and we are going in the direction of a mess. Well, what do we do then? Well, there's a long and glorious history of women holy women finding themselves in that situation. Which brings us to the third point, the bedrock of submission, verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Your, your, your submission to your husband is not primarily a response to his good leadership, to his good wisdom. And men, there, there is a lot that we can do here to help make our wives' jobs easier. Um, make her obedience easier, easier for her to respect you by being respectable. Easier for her to know what true beauty is by showing a commitment to true beauty and to, to rejecting the lies of our culture. To make her, make her life easier to follow you by being a thoughtful planner. By thinking ahead more than, more than the next step. How many of you work in a job environment where your boss only thinks one step ahead? Everything's reactionary. That's a horrible place to work. Don't make your wife work in that sort of place. And solicit input. Welcome it. If your wife comes to you with ideas, it's not necessarily her nagging you. Or if she reminds you of something you promised to do, that's not her nagging you. Now maybe if it's the tenth time, maybe there there's a call for you to exercise better leadership by saying, babe, I said I'd do that. I'm not going to get around to that for another two months. Uh, I've got these other priorities that are really important for me. Your leadership there involves talking, communicating. So we can make our our wives easier. But women, wives, sisters, the fact is we're we're not going to do it perfectly. The best of men 
our men at best. And so we're going to mess it up. Which means you've got a scary calling. It's a scary role to submit to an imperfect man. Which can leave us thinking about all the ways this could go sideways. All the ways this could go wrong. And so we worry. Which is why you end up in Proverbs with this picture of the nagging wife that ends up driving her husband to the roof. He goes, lives in a corner of his roof because it's better than living with a nagging wife. She's like a dripping of the rain. Or in Proverbs 21, he says it drives him to go out hunting. Actually, it's out, out into the wilderness. Um, Proverbs 21. But Proverbs 21, interestingly, draws the connection between the, the quarrelsomeness and something else. Proverbs 21.19 It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So there you see the connection between so much of the discord within a marriage can flow out of fear. It's just I'm scared. Which means, again, speaking to the husbands, this is a place where we can help our wives. Your wife, in order to obey 1 Peter 3, she needs to be full of faith, just like these holy women of old. And yet, if that's the case, if faith is so necessary for our wives' submission, then, then why do we act so often like all we need is a better system or more discipline? You just gotta try harder. You just gotta set up your schedule better, babe. If you just, just do this. Some of those things might be helpful, but let's make sure we're also praying for our wives. Let's make sure we're also washing them with the Word. Because they're going to be shaped in their faith before they're shaped in their submission. They cannot follow you if they're not trusting God. And so, in this situation, women, some of you... This isn't an abstraction. Oh, that might be scary. Some of this is, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. We've already seen you mess things up. And so some of you sisters have been through really painful experiences because of poor decisions that your husband made. And so you're once bitten, twice shy. You're not going to go through that again. So what do we do that when we're facing the fear like that? We, you're called to be more like Sarah. She was scared. She was scared because it was a scary thing. It was a scary thing to follow her husband to a different land where she didn't know where they were going. He didn't know where they were going. That was scary. It was a scary thing when your husband says, babe, I'm afraid they're going to kill me. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to say you're my sister. And yeah, you might end up in some dude's harem, but I don't want to die. That's scary. And Sarah trusted the Lord. Now, interesting thing about that particular situation, if it is one of the things Peter has in mind, I think it is. If it is, Sarah didn't sin in that. I assume, because of the way Sarah is described here, that there would have been a point in which the king calls for Sarah out of the harem and she says, "Uh, there's going to be a problem with that. I can't do that because I'm actually married. 
So the, the truth would come out. But she submitted to going into a scary situation where she was somewhat at risk. She didn't submit to sin. Sarah, as a woman of faith, was not going to do that. But she did submit and follow her husband. And I, I assume, like some of you will have to, at some point you're going to wave the flag and say, I can't go any farther, babe. What you're calling me to now is something that this verse here says I can't do. But there's a lot of the situations in life where you don't have a verse. You've got your thoughts and your opinions, your husband's thoughts his opinions. They don't line up. You haven't been able to work it out. And it's scary for you to submit to that man. His track record's not great. And yet, Jesus can, can handle this situation. In this situation, follow Sarah and keep doing good and don't fret. Fretting just leads to evil. Don't fear. Don't fear anything that is frightening because your God is covering everything. And the last thing I would note is just your submission will be imperfect. Sarah's was. She, the example given to us, given to you here, is Sarah who obeyed her husband, calling him Lord. And yet she did well sometimes. And she also was really pushy sometimes and told him, get rid of this, this woman. And God ended up using her pushiness to send Hagar out. But she, she stepped out of line and was pushy and she um, at different times uh, resisted. She laughed um, at the uh, Abraham's visitors. There, there, there's plenty of things where we can look and say, well, Sarah didn't have it all together. No, she didn't. And yet, she was a saint washed by the blood. So God cleanses all of her works. And when we're left, the memory of her is the good. The good conduct that she did practice. The, the ways that in so many different ways she did follow her husband and show a fearless faith through that submission. This, this faith, this is hard. But it's precisely the fact that it's hard. The submission, the fact that it's hard is what makes it so precious, so beautiful, so distinct. And what gives it, it's an apologetic force. Whether you're married to an unbelieving husband who will see that good conduct in a hard situation, or whether you're just living before an unbelieving culture. In today's unbelieving culture, households of God, we can do better than merely tweet about the insanity of a culture that has confused men and women. We can show them a picture of beautiful masculinity and femininity in the context of a home that God has created. And that is part of what God uses to testify. Women living in a way that shows faith in the midst of scary situations is something that testifies to a hope that lies beyond this life, that lies beyond the, the imperfect people that we are called to submit to. And God will use all this to testify 
to His glory. Even as it says, as we, we looked at 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that's, that's what we're aiming for in all of our areas of obedience, in all of the roles and relationships that God has given us. May He give us the grace to live this out. Father, pray that You would. You would fill us with faith to walk into all the scary situations that You call us. To walk in obedience, trusting in You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.